shirt on. I know, right? Actually, Liz said to me this morning, she said, I went through and I ironed all of your shirts because what happens every time we go to go out somewhere nice, she says, put a shirt on. And I always say, no, nah, none of them are ironed. And she says, well, iron it. And I say, no, I've got no time. So she's gone through and ironed all of them so that I have no excuse for not wearing a shirt, which is pretty cool. So uh, it doesn't look ironed anymore. No, got all crinkled. Let's pray. God, help. Amen. You know that uh, Jesus says that when you pray, not to keep on babbling like the pagans do, because they think they'll be heard because of their many words, but when we pray, just remember that God knows what you need before you ask for it. So some of the most powerful prayers in the Bible were super short. You know, what did, uh, what did, what did Peter say to the guy at the, at the town gates with his mat? He just said, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I'll give it to you. And then he just prays, in the name of Jesus, pick up your mat and walk. It's like one sentence, pretty good prayer. Um, when Jesus stood outside Lazarus' tomb, he said, come forth. It's like two words. That's powerful, eh? Like, imagine being able to say two words and break the, the power of death in two words. That's, that's pretty cool. That's uh, not what I'm talking on. You get that for free this morning. Uh, I'm reading The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe at the moment to the kids. I just finished it last night. And uh, oh, that, that book gives me tingles. Eh? Like, Aslan. You guys read Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe? You've seen the movie? Aslan, there's one part I was reading it last night where after he comes back to life, and uh, the stone table cracks, and he does this big roar, and the book says that the trees bend in half at his roar. And I was like, that's an amazing picture of the power of God. Anyway, you get that for free too. Sorry. Um, <coughs> uh, exciting news for us. This weekend we signed our, our mortgage papers, so we are one step closer to building a house. And I thought, as I was thinking about saying that this morning, I thought, man, poor church, every time I get up, I talk to them about how we're building a house. And uh, I think it was January 2013, I started talking about how we were building a house. So you guys have had to put up with this rubbish for a while, so I'm sorry about that. But what happened was, we rang up the builder, and I said, hey, I saw your ad in the paper, and uh, we want to build a house. And the builder said, great, well, come into my office. And we'll look at some plans, we'll talk about what you want to see in your house, and we'll chuck some ideas around. We've got an architect in the office, he'll come in too, and we'll just, you know, find out what you're sort of thinking, and we'll put some things together. And I said, no, no, I don't want to do that. I'm too busy for that. My life's too busy to stop and think about what I want in a house. So what I'd like you to do is just, here's the address of the section, just go out and start building it. And when you're halfway through, ring me, and I'll come out and I'll have a look. And if I'm happy with it, then we'll carry on, right? And uh, the builder said, no, that's, that's the ridiculous idea. Come into the office and we will, we'll, we'll talk about how many rooms you want, you know, what the functionality of your house is going to be, how big your family is, how long you're planning on living in it for, and we'll talk about whether you want an open plan or a closed plan or two-story or one-story, and we'll draw something up for you. And when you're happy with it, we'll put it into council and then they'll come back and we'll build the house based on the plans that you have designed. I said, mate, you're not listening to me. I'm too busy to think about what I want in a house. Just start building it. And when you're halfway through, call me and I'll come out and have a look and then I'll decide if I'm happy with it. Now, who, who thinks that conversation actually happened? Like no one believes that. Because we all know that that is the most ridiculous way to build a house. It is, it is absolutely 
insane to even think about building a house like this. But here's the truth, guys. Most people, including Christians, will build their life like that. And they'll get halfway through and they'll wake up one morning and they'll go, this isn't what I wanted. You know, I'm not happy with this. I haven't done the things I wanted to do. I haven't seen the things I wanted to see. I haven't accomplished the things I wanted to accomplish or achieve the things I wanted to achieve. I'm not happy with this. In fact, it happens so often that we've even got a term for it. We call it a midlife crisis. And we say, oh my goodness, have you seen Dave down the road? He's gone out and dyed his hair black and bought a motorbike. I think he must be going through a midlife crisis. You know, like we, put in, we put a label on it. And I don't know what the, what the female equivalent of a midlife crisis is. Like, I don't know, maybe go and hire out a whole bunch of Julia Roberts movies and get inspired by Eat, Pray, Love and fly over to Europe to discover yourself for a year. Uh, you hear that quite a lot, hey? Like, I'm just trying to, just trying to find myself. I'm like, buy a mirror. <laughs> like, stand in front of that thing and be like, there I am, sorted. You know, but that... The reason I want to talk to you about this this morning is because I heard a statistic the other day that just, it scared me and it made me sad. And it was this, it was that according to a whole bunch of studies that have been done in church, 80% of Christians, 80% say they do not believe they have ever discovered their purpose in Christ. 80% say that. Now, I just think that's, that's really, really sad. And so my heart this morning is to just poke you for the next 20 minutes or so and say, hey, have you thought about this? Because in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is the way that you think that will transform your life. Every moment of every day, you are either being transformed by the way you think or conformed by the way you think. Every day, you are thinking thoughts that are either transforming your life or conforming you to the patterns of this world. Now, I know if you're anything like me, what you do is whenever the Bible talks about two options, life or death or conforming or transforming or serving God or serving money, I like to insert this little wee third option in the middle that I call the neutral zone. And I like to live there. And I tell myself that, yeah, okay, maybe I'm not transforming my life regularly, but I'm not conforming to the patterns of this world. I'm just in this neutral zone. Or I might say, yeah, okay, maybe, you know, the Bible says you either love God or you love money. You serve God or you serve money. And I go, well, okay, maybe, maybe I haven't been super faithful with my giving. And yeah, maybe I know that I've got some issues with money and I don't quite trust God, but I'm not serving money. So I'm just going to insert myself into this neutral zone that I've created for myself. You know, or maybe you go, you know, Jesus said you're either hot or you're cold. And you might go, well, okay, maybe I haven't, I probably wouldn't say I've been hot recently, but I'm not cold. I'm not like anti-God. So I'll just insert myself into this neutral zone. You know, Jesus said you're either for me or you're against me. Maybe you go, okay, maybe I haven't been overly for God lately. I've kind of been sidetracked by other things, but I'm not against God. I'll just insert myself into the guys. There is no neutral zone. You're either doing it or you're not. Um, you're either conforming or you're transforming. So I want to talk to you this morning about discovering the plan of God for your life. Because 80% of Christians, and we're a fairly typical church, you know, we're, we're doing well, 
but, but I would say it would be fairly representative of that statistic as a whole. 80% are, are, are going to say, look, I don't, I don't know if I'm hitting it. I don't know if I really get why God's got me on this planet. And I tell you, if you can click into that, you, you will feel such fulfillment, such joy, such peace, such excitement, such thrill that, that you will never want to go back from it. So are you on board with that? Are you on board and going on this literary journey this morning? Um, we'll use the house analogy a little bit, but the first thing I want to say before I start is that it doesn't matter how old you are. Don't feel like you're too old to start discovering God's plan for your life. When I rang up the builder and said, I want to build a house, he didn't say, well, how old are you? I said, I'm 32. Oh, you can only build a house if you're under 20. Sorry. You know, I mean, Bruce, you guys bought a house. Was it last year or the year before? Time goes so fast. Two years ago. So you were in your what? In your, in your 50s? Yeah. yeah, yeah, about that. In your 80s. Did your builder tell you that you were 90s? Did your builder tell you you were too old to design a house and build a house? No, he didn't. No, because you were paying him a heck of a lot of money. But you're never too old to build a life. And you're never too young. You're never too old to discover what God's plan is for your life. So please, I do not want you to leave this place this morning and be like, oh, I missed my chance. or I'm too No, start now. Start now designing your life, discovering your life. So steps to discovering the plan of God for your life. You know, the first thing you've got to understand is that God has a plan for you. How many people believe that God's got a plan for their life? Like, be honest. How many you believe God's got a plan for my life? Every Christian that I've ever talked to said, yeah, I believe God's got a plan for my life. But then four out of five Christians will say, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I've ever got there. So there's a disconnect there, right? We believe that God's got a plan for our life, but it's discovering the plan that's causing the problems. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, I've read this verse a hundred times. You can't grow up in church and go through youth group without being hammered over the head with this verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 is like the go-to youth group verse, you know, like, you grow up in church and you only hear three messages when you're a teenager. It's either Jeremiah 29, 11, it's David and Goliath, or it's about sex. That's, that's all you get talked about in youth group. And so I've, I've read this verse a lot. I've heard this verse a lot. And I've always thought about it, you know, I know the plans I have for you. We all believe that God's got plans. You know, plans to give you hope and a future. And I've always thought, well, that's nice that God's planning to give me hope and God's planning to give me a future. And then yesterday I was reading it and it said something completely different. And the Bible's crazy like that. You know, Hebrews 4.12 says it's living and active. This thing, is, this thing is alive. You can read this thing one day, read it the next day, and you get something totally different out of it. So I read that phrase, plans to give you hope and a future. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've never seen it before. But my hope and my future come from the knowledge that God has plans for me. Does that make sense? I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope. So the plans are what give you hope. The plans are what give you a future. And it's like, you know, one of the, the rules of life is that what you focus on expands. Um, and it's like, once you start to get a handle on, on what God has for your life, and you start to get a bit of an outline of God's plans and His designs and His purposes for your life, those plans literally give you hope for them. You know, your, your future is defined through those plans, and those plans will pull you towards them like a magnet, so it's incredibly important that you discover what God's plans are because it's in knowing the plans that you can actually be drawn towards the plans. Does that make sense? It's like my uncle's a cop 
or he used to be a policeman. And I remember him saying, look, if you ever get into a trouble where you, you start spinning out in your car, he said, the reason that so many young people end up hitting trees or hitting lampposts or things like that is because when they start losing control, they see a tree and they go, oh, I mustn't hit that tree. But because they're focusing on the tree, they'll naturally steer into it. My driving instructor told me when I was driving, she said, don't ever look at the cars that are coming the other way because what will happen is that you will start to veer across the centre line because you always end up, you know, steering into what you're focusing on. So, you know, these plans that God has for you, it's incredibly important that you know what they are because that's what's going to, that's what you're going to steer yourself towards. So God has a plan for you. That's the first thing you've got to understand, and we're all on board with that. Um, Hebrews 11.6 says that you know, anyone that goes to God has to believe two things. One, that God exists, and two, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, that word rewarder, it's only used once in the whole Bible, and it actually means remunerator. And a remunerator is someone who pays you you know, for work that you've done. And you don't ever go to work one day, do a whole bunch of work, and then go to your boss and say, oh, you know, are you okay with paying me today? Like, you know, like you know that you've done the work, you deserve to be remunerated for it. And the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of rewards. You know, later on in Jeremiah 21 11, after he says, I know the plans I've got for you, plans to give you hope in the future, he says, then you'll call upon me and you'll come to me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God wants to be found. So, The first step is understanding God's got a plan for your life. We know that. The big step, though, is how do you find out what it is? And I've got a key here for you this morning that that I stumbled into, that Liz and I stumbled into, and it's actually been massive for our life. And that is this. God hides his plan for you in your heart's desires. Psalm 37 verse 4 says he gives us the desires of our heart. I believe that every single one of us has inside of our heart desires and passions and and things that excite us, things that make us laugh, things that make us cry, things that make us angry. And when you can tap into what it is that stirs you, you will have a major clue as to what your purpose in life is because those desires have been birthed in you by God. And he puts them in there so that you have the tools that you need to act out the purposes that he has for you. So it's, it's a case of going, well, what is it that excites me? What is it that, that, that I think about at night? What, what is it that I love doing? Um, so for me, one of the things that I am incredibly passionate about is I'm a, totally obsessed with this concept of freedom. In Galatians 5, it says that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Freedom is determined or defined as the power to determine action without restraint. So I am absolutely obsessed with Um, removing restraint in my life and helping others identify and remove restraint from their lives so that they can live in the freedom that Christ died for. And there's all sorts of things that will restrain us. Finances restrain us. It's a big passion of mine. Um, You know, time will restrain us. Mindsets restrain us. Fear restrains us. Doubt restrains us. Insecurity restrains us. Comparing ourselves to others restrains us. Negative self-talk restrains us. So that's something that I'm really passionate about. But you might be like... You know, um, one of my friends posted on Facebook the other day, and, and hear my heart in this, because it's not going to make me look very good, but they posted an article about uh, women in Sudan being oppressed. And they did this mess. I didn't read it. 
they did this massive rant about, I can't believe this is happening, and oh, I just wish that I could drop everything and leave my job and fly to Sudan and, and help these women. I'm so angry about it. And then one of her friends had jumped on with another article, and they'd gone to war with each other and be like, oh, this is horrible. We must do something. And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm on board with, with equality. Like, obviously, you know, women and men were created equal. But I have to be honest, that's not my passion. So I can be really confident that my purpose in life does not revolve around setting women free from oppression in Sudan. Because it just doesn't stir me up. I, I know that it's a good thing, but it's not my calling. Does that make sense? So God hides his plan in the desires of your heart. And here's a great exercise for you. This is something that Liz and I did. And the thing I like about this is that sometimes we freak out. You know, we're like, yeah, I know God's got a plan for me, but, but I, maybe I struggle to hear God's voice or I'm not sure how to go about it. And, and we can sometimes over-spiritualize what we need to do. So this is a practical thing that Liz and I did, totally by mistake, that drew out the desires of God in our heart and really shaped our life. We, I'd finished working in Auckland and I'd moved home and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And I'd given three months notice, because that was my, my term of resignation, three months. And they came to me after two weeks and said that we found someone to replace you, so you can go now. So I had three months pay coming in, and we were living at mum's house. And so it seemed like a natural point to just stop and take a breath and work out what we were about and what we wanted to do in life. And Liz started to get more and more stressed because we were getting closer and closer to the end of the three months. And I was just like, you know, like not phased. And she was like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You need a job. What are you going to do? I was like, you could get a job. No, I wasn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, she was pregnant. That's right. Yeah, she was, she was pregnant. Um, so, yeah, we had one kid. She was pregnant with the other one. The due date was getting closer. And she was like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? The only thing that I knew was that I didn't want to do radio. That was the only thing I had ever done. In fact, I had to go and open a bank account when I got my first paycheck because I literally had never had a job before. So that was all that I knew how to do. And so in the end, partly just to get Liz off my back, but also because it seemed like a good idea, I said, why don't we design our perfect life? You know, you people design houses. They work out what they want. Like, why don't we just design our perfect life? And we'll just, let's just dream. Let's just put some things down. And what we did without realizing it was, we tapped into the desires of our heart, our God-given desires. And so we wrote out this bit of paper, and Liz is awesome. Like, you know, she, she um, what's the word when you hide and she ambushes me. And every now and again, when I'm like relaxing on the couch, she'll just, next thing she's just like, bing. She's like there. I don't know where she comes from. And she's got like a notepad and a pen. And she's like, let's talk about our life goals. And I'm like, oh, go away. So I've, I've literally never written down a life goal because I've got this person here who's like writes down everything. She's got these diaries full. So I'm like lying on the couch, you know, like in a counseling session with my eyes closed. And Liz is sitting in the chair beside me with her note and paper being my psychiatrist. And she's like, Josh and Liz's life plan. One, what do you want your life to look like? And, and so I said, well, and I still remember, I said, I don't want to have a boss. In, in Josh's life plan, I don't have a boss. And I remember saying these words, I don't want to have to be somewhere at a certain time, Monday to Friday, because someone told me I have to. You know, I had some attitude lying on the couch unemployed. <laughs> I'd gotten used to this lifestyle and it was good. Yeah. And my second thing was, I don't want to have to pay rent ever again, because I was living at mum's house. No, that's not true. 
I said, I don't want to have a boss. So Liz wrote it down. Okay, Josh's life plan doesn't have a boss. I said, what do you want? She said, I want to be a stay-at-home mum. I said, awesome, write it down. So we wrote down, in Josh and Liz's you know, dream life, Liz is a stay-at-home mum. She said, what do you want? I said, oh. You know, and I tried hard to think. I said, I want to give a day a week to church. I said, I want to have the flexibility to say to church, hey, you need help in this area. Here is my time. Here's my expertise. Here's my energy. A day a week to church. I want to work for church a day a week. This is four years ago that we did this. So she wrote it down. I said, what do you want? She said, I want a beautiful house. I said, preach it. She said, no. I said, why do you want a beautiful house? That's a very important question to ask yourself. Why? Why? Kids are awesome at it. Why? 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 It's so annoying. The other day, Harrison and Jess were playing, and they were doing something, and Harrison says, why? And Jess goes, because that's the way it is. And I was like, oh my goodness, what has Liz been saying to our kids? You know, but kids ask why, why, why all the time. So I said, why do you want a big house? And, and it came out, Liz said, I want, to enter t- I want to have people around. And I want them to have a nice environment that they can relax in and feel special in. And she said, I remember she said, I want to serve high quality food. I want to serve expensive breads and beautiful dips. And if they drink wine, I want them to have nice wine, not cheap wine. And I, I want them to feel loved and blessed and appreciated. She was talking about the spiritual gift of hospitality. We didn't know that. We were just talking about what we, what we wanted. We were drawing it out. Um, and so we wrote that down. A nice house. Why? Because we want to bless people. We want people to come around, have a nice time, hop in the car and go, I don't know what that was, but I feel so much better than I did when we got here. Um, so we wrote that down. She said, what do you want? I said, I want to give away substantial amounts of money. And this has been something that, uh, that had been brewing in me for a couple of years. And, and you know, best friends with Glenn and best friends with Chris. Uh, Chris said to say hi in the message. Hi, Chris. Everyone just yell out, hi, Chris. Hi, Chris. There you go, mate. You know, and, and Ruth. And Ruth. Hi, Ruth. Uh, and kids, you, you're fine. Um, yeah, I <laughs> don't have too much time left. And um, what was I talking about? You guys distracted me. What was it? Money. Oh, yeah, money. Yeah, I love money. No, that's not true. I don't. The love of money is the root of all evil. But money is, is not so bad. It's, it's you know, you can, you can own whatever you want as long as it doesn't own you. There's a very big difference. Some of, the, some of the people that I've known in my life that have had the most issue with money have had none of it. And some of the people I know that are the freest, most generous people have had tons of it. But that's not what I want to talk about this morning. That's another message to poke you on. Um, you know, I said, I want to give away large amounts of money. I'm friends with Glenn. I'm friends with Jared, a brother with Jared, friends with Chris. And I said, I, I know how limiting not having money can be. And for a church, like how limiting it can be. And what does this dial into? It dials into my passion about seeing people set free from restraint, seeing churches set free from restraint. So I said, I want to give away large amounts of money. Now, how many people know that you can't give away what you don't have? But you understand, my heart wasn't to have lots of money. It was to give away lots of money. And I'm not an idiot. I know that I have to have lots to give away lots. But on our life plan, it's written down, give away lots of money, not have lots of money. It's a big difference. So we did all of this sort of stuff, and then we sat back, and we made some decisions based on our life plan. Now, when you look at it and you go, well, I don't want to have a boss, and I want to be able to give a day a week to church, and I want to be able to give away large amounts of money. Do I go out there and get a nine-to-five job working at Mitre 10? No, because I can't. It's not going to work for my life plan. So 
for the last four years, so many decisions that we have made as a couple have been based around, is this going to fit into our life plan? And do you know what? You know, this is going to sound bad, but we never sat down and prayed about it. We didn't fast over it. We didn't, you know, like beg God for a life plan. We just went, what do we want? What are the desires that we have? Um, and there might be a little bit of fine-tuning required. Maybe a little bit of, um, you know, flesh comes out, and you might go, okay, maybe that's not so important right now. And the other thing I want to say too is that you don't have to have everything figured out. Um, you know, the only thing that I know about our house is the floor plan. We don't have the carpet picked. We don't have the paint picked. We don't have the kitchen picked. We don't have the bathrooms picked. Uh, we don't have anything organized. Taps, toilets, I'm freaking out about everything that we've got to do. But it's like that with life. I'm not saying that you need to go home and, and work out what you're doing on the 17th of August, 2021. But you need to have some sort of, you know, some sort of idea. Um, this, is a, this is a massive, massive deal. And I look back at the way that I used to live my life, and I used to pray this prayer, and I thank God that he can see our heart, and he knows what our heart is, and he knew that my heart was that I wanted to do what he wanted to do. But I used to pray this prayer, and I'd be like, God, I am the mouse, and you are in control of the maze. And I'd be like, God, I want you to open doors that you want me to go through, and I want you to close doors that you don't want me to go through, because I don't want to end up somewhere that you don't want me. You know, so I said, I'm just going to keep going and you can just, you know, you can herd me left, you can herd me right, you can make me go up or make me go down, but I just want to do what you want to do. But do you know what never occurred to me was to stop and go, what is it? Like, how dopey is that? Like, I'm praying this for years. Like, God, I want to do what you want me to do. Like, just, I'm just going to keep going like this mouse, banging into walls. Oh, that's a dead end. Go back this way and hoping that I'll get there eventually. And God's up there going, this is dopey. Like, I know the plans I have for you. Just ask for them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Because everyone, everyone say everyone. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. 1 John 5.14 says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will... Who believes it's God's will for us to know what his plans are? We're all on board with that. Okay. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. You know, I want to tell you this morning, and I'll finish here, but I want to tell you that I know that God has a plan for your life because the Bible says so. I want to tell you that I know that he wants you to know what your, his plans are because the Bible says so. I want you to know that I know that once you can settle on these plans, you can start to get some sort of idea. These plans will draw you to them. Your hope and your future will revolve around these plans. I know that because the Bible says so. I know that if you ask God, he will tell you what they are because the Bible says so. I know that if you seek God, you will find him because the Bible says so. I know that you have... I'll get emotional. But 80%. Who wants to be one of the 80%? Who, who goes through life and doesn't know what the purpose of God is for their life? That dyes their hair black and buys a motorbike. Or gets plugs. 
You know, I don't, I don't want you. I love you guys. I don't want anyone feeling like they're missing out on this. You know, and like it says in Romans, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to know that this is, this is possible. This is what God has for each and every one of you. He has a plan for you and he wants you to be operating in it. Just go out of here this morning and believe it. If you're married, then, then go home and talk to your husband or wife and say, what, what excites us? What gets our wheels spinning? If you're not married, then just go home and talk to God or even ask some of your friends, what do you pick up about me? What do, you, what do I talk about all the time? What makes me laugh? What makes me cry? You know, and, and start to put some of this down on paper because God has a plan for your life. Is that cool? All right, stand up. I'll pray.